Hello, everyone. I'm Dana Stewart Bullock, and this is Transformational Therapeutics. In today's podcast, Rebecca and I will take on the enormous subject of love. Because of the enormity of the subject, we will dip our toes into it using mostly story, poetry, and quotes to begin an exploration that lasts a lifetime. So, welcome. Hi, Dana. Hi, Rebecca. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Today, we're talking about the concept of love. Yes, we are. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on it. It will be very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) What is the definition of love? Well, the origin of it, it comes from Old English and of Germanic origin, also has a root shared by Sanskrit, which has to do with desire, mostly. Mm. And from the Latin libet, it means it is pleasing, which is where the word libido comes from. Other origins, Old German, is to care, to desire, to love. So they're sort of using the same word to describe it. And for me, it's an interesting subject because I think everybody defines it in some ways differently. For sure. Again, you know, I'm always defining the language I'm using. And so the first time I was forced to really define it was a number of years ago, the person that was my partner for 26 years, whom I just absolutely adored, was diagnosed with AIDS. And I had to decide what did it mean to me to love this person. And so I spent days really defining for myself what love is. And at that point, I came up with taking care of someone else or meeting their needs. And what I didn't include at that point was not at the expense of my own. Hmm. So it's taken me quite a few years to unravel that. Right. I do research on these podcasts and I tried researching love and I ended up just going to poetry Hmm. because I think love is in some ways not really definable. And I mean, we all sort of have a feeling of love or know what it is, but we don't really ask ourselves to define it. That's so true. And also thinking about, at least for me, I'm thinking about the concept of love is explained differently in different spirituality and different religions. And from that whole side of things, it can have a different meaning as well. Yet, I'd be curious to see the similarities between all of the definitions of love as well. And I think in different situations, it seems to have different definitions, but I'm not sure that that is true. I think there's an overall principled definition that covers, because, you know, you think about parental love and romantic love and friendship love and But there has to be a central theme to all of those that is common to all of them. And it's something where even if we don't define it, I think it's an experiential thing. There could be one moment where you can think about where you did feel a sense of love, like a a force of love within you, a... Well, I think it's interesting to differentiate between the the feeling of love within you and the feeling of love coming toward you from someone else. I mean, I think that our first exposure to love, and I hate to use the word should, but should be, you know, at birth. Sure. The love that you receive from your parents. Right. I'm not sure that everybody gets that. Right. And so that influences you throughout your life. And so that's some of the impetus behind me really defining it. Well, it's interesting you say the love that we feel within ourselves and the love that we feel when someone else is loving us. To me, it's it's still the same. It's a feeling within our own selves. It's just maybe lighting up in a different way when someone is shining it towards. 
I hear what you're saying, but I'm not sure how many people actually know how to love themselves. And what does sure. that mean? Absolutely. And so to receive the love from outside of yourself, you know, there's a whole discussion about are you able to love someone else if you don't really love yourself? And that gets into a hairy place. So I'd love to talk about all of that. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on all of that. Share. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to me, I, I see it as that love is a feeling that exists within all of us. This is my own personal opinion. Right, sure. And my own personal perspective. But it's a, a feeling that is within us. It's it's like this seed of potential that we're born with, that a, a seed of a tree has the potential of growing into a tree. It's it's there encoded in the in the seed itself. It's not something we need to receive externally. But when we release the things that we're blocking, we're blocking seeing the love within ourselves, we're blocking seeing love within others, or blocking receiving love within others, when we lift those barriers, then it's like allowing that seed to just do what it's supposed to do, what it's designed to do. And I see it as when we're receiving love, it's almost like something within us is lighting up. This old knowledge that we're just born with is lighting up, and it's not something that someone gives to you. It's something that you experience when someone else shares it with you. That's brilliant. Uh, I'm going to quote Rumi. Mm. Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. And I think about Candy Pert, who talked about that we are hardwired for bliss, that actually the physiology in our brains is such that we are hardwired for bliss. Right. But I wonder, just historically and experientially, how many people are able to remove those barriers and actually receive what is really their right at being on this planet. Exactly. That's that's exactly my thoughts on it, that it's not necessarily that we need to learn how to love or how to go and get it or how to give it. It's really, we need to learn how to release those barriers or release those things that are blocking our view of it. And in order to do that, one needs to accept the fact or accept it as a fact that we actually have that potential already in us. Yes. That for me is the big leap. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, the way that I've seen people oftentimes are very superficial and they fall in love with somebody, but they fall out of love like 10 days later. And that to me is not real love. Real love is something that is sustaining over time and through adversity and that sort of thing. Mm. But that's my definition or part of my definition. Looking at it through that same context, if it's something that exists within you and you choose to let it flow in the face of challenge or in the face of someone doing the things that you want them to do, or you let it flow even when they're doing something that you don't want them to do, at least for me, that that's when you can really develop the skill of allowing those barriers to be down even when it's hard. I mean, I'm a bit of a skeptic, so forgive me, but I oftentimes hear people talk about how they love someone unconditionally. I find that loving someone unconditionally is not an easy thing to do. No. And I'm not sure that they're being quite honest. I have to agree. The conditions that they might be putting on unconsciously on the person that they say they love unconditionally. When I teach about unconditional love, I find it's easier to generate unconditional love for our pets and animals 
that we will look at our animals. At least I was looking at my my cat this morning eating, and I was adoring his tongue. <laughs> like he was licking his food up, and I was just like, "Look at how cute his tongue is! It's just so cute." And we just by sharing just unconditional adoration. For him, I look at all aspects of him as beautiful and cute, and it, I find we can learn a lot from the love that we share on our animals or something like that. And if he were spraying around your house, would you still love him unconditionally? Oh, if he were spraying around my my house, I mean, he doesn't, thankfully. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's also times when he for sure does things that frustrates me. Like he loves to run around the house when I'm I'm recording something or make a lot of noise, which gives me further practice. But I agree with you. I mean, we do love unconditionally is something that is. It's a huge task. It is. But it's if uh, if you think about it in the context of the the seed of potential, I think we have that seed of potential within us, and the things that stop that the conditions that we put on love are what we ex- these expectations that we hold for other people that I will love you if you do how what I want you or to do, or if you are, or if you are a certain the way, way I want you to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if your vibration is in line with mine, then I will love you. If not, if you do something I don't agree with, then I won't love you anymore. But if it's already still flowing in you and you're just choosing to put up a dam and block it, but it's still there and we have the potential to learn to let it flow anyway. I'd like to talk also about other aspects of love. Let's talk about parental love and love for a friend or whatever. And what does that entail? Well, let me just redefine. For me, love also incorporates setting limits And doing for the other person what is actually best for them, although they might not see it that way, and best for yourself. And so it can be very difficult for parents to set limits on their kids. That, to me, is how we grow. Mm. We come up against limits and we get bigger from it. But I don't see that a lot these days in parenting. Thinking about other concepts that we've talked about in this podcast about relationship and a container and that a container is safety like creating boundaries are creating a space for safety to feel safe and that often coming up against a boundary can be uncomfortable it can be frustrating it can be disappointing and yet it can also be something that we need the most and we deep down we might be actually seeking and looking for those boundaries that please Dear God, will somebody stop me from doing this? Because if they do, maybe that means that I'm lovable. The kids who need the most love will ask for it in the most unloving of ways. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, what I what I was saying was that like a it can almost be a cry for a cry for help. Like please, Prut, show me that I am lovable by stopping me from doing this thing. And I think that refers back historically to language. I mean, that's a language that if we can look at the underlying impetus behind it and see the context that it's a child who may actually need love and not just a brat or being obnoxious or that sort of thing, I think is is really important in terms of love and language. Yes. It's interesting because I think when I think of unconditional love, especially from a parent, 
That doesn't mean that you don't put boundaries. In fact, it means that you do put boundaries. It means you do things out of love that might be very difficult for you, probably more so than for the child, because it can be really hard for you to stand up and be the, you know, quote unquote mean or or whatever you might be afraid of or risk your child not liking you in that moment. But when we come into conditional love, using your love as discipline rather than using healthy boundaries as discipline. So I see like if I think of a parent using conditional love or loving their children conditionally, then that means if you don't behave the way I want you to, then I'm going to withhold my love from you, which to me is damaging versus I will love you no matter what you do or say or experience. I'm going to practice loving you always and I will set boundaries and give consequences for actions. And I think the difference is the and. Yeah. Because what they're saying, though they may not be saying that, I will love you, but if you exactly. act wrong, then I don't love you anymore. I mean, that's the, I've always said love is an action. That's my definition. It's an action. And so I listen to people and watch them like they'll say they love me, but if they're not acting and I just don't believe them. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it's, it's, I'm so functionally oriented. You can say you love me all you want, but if your actions don't show that, then I just don't believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about parenting. It's really interesting. The guy, Edward Bach, who invented Bach remedies, Bach flower remedies, has a whole thing on parenting, which I just adopted as my definition. And he talks about parenthood as an office. And it's an office that where one is the privileged means of enabling a soul to contact this world for the sake of evolution. Hmm. He goes on and on in terms of his definition. But the whole point is that as a parent, you have a child who is actually a soul and you're responsible for helping that soul develop and evolve. And that soul may may be a much older and greater soul than you are. (laughs) Well, that's beautiful. Yeah. And he says, quote, parenthood is an office in life which passes from one to another and is in essence a temporary giving of guidance and protection for a brief period after which time it should then cease its efforts and leave the object of its attention free to advance alone. Be it remembered that the child for whom we may become a temporary guardian may be a much older and greater soul than ourselves, and spiritually our superior, so that control and protection should be confined to the needs of the young personality. So he's differentiating between the soul and the personality. Parents should be particularly on guard against any desire to mold the young personality according to their own ideas or wishes, and should refrain from any undue control or demand of favors in return for their natural duty and divine privilege of being the means of helping a soul to contact the world. That, to me, is a a definition of Mm, parenthood, like a framework within which to work. I'm not saying it's easy, but to keep that in mind, that this being that you have brought into the world is a soul. And to look at the much greater picture. I love that you are bringing words and language to this to help understand and help create our own or see our own definitions of love and also learn from it. But I also love before we started recording, you were reading some other quotes that just create some beautiful feelings. I guess I'd be curious about what your thoughts are on turning to poetry and quotes to learn about uh, about love or look up love or anything like that? So this is a poet whose name is Naraya Wahid, and this is a short poem of hers. And what she says is, I walk into a poem and walk out someone else. 
I, when I was researching love, I, I just automatically went to poetry and quotes that I've had over the years because, you know, my focus is on language because language for me has been a central organizing principle. And so I go to language that I've collected to find meaning and comfort. Hmm. And so I pulled out a number of quotes that just help me. This is me personally define what love is, because I cannot define it orally, articulate it in a way that really it's so deep and so broad. This, this is one from Paulo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist. This is not from The Alchemist, but... Someone's spirit, however, has no name. It is pure truth and inhabits a particular body for a certain period of time, and will one day leave it. And God won't bother asking, what's your name? When the soul arrives at the final judgment, God will only ask, did you love while you were alive? For that is the essence of life, the ability to love, not the name we carry around on our passport, business card, or identity. Mm-hmm. The essence of that is just helps me define what love is. That helps me think about what I shared earlier about the seed of potential within us, that something that's a part of life that we have this potential within us. And this is another one that really got to me. There's a poet named Padraig Otuma. This quote is from him, which to me defines love in a poetic way. Quote, you're the place where I stand on the day when my feet are sore. Hmm. And so love has to do, I believe, with feeling safe, feeling held, even though not necessarily physically, but feeling safe and held and contained Loved. I don't know how else to describe it. Right. Safety. Yeah. Held. Contained. And, you know, we're at such such odds in this country, in this world right now. Everybody's at each other's throats. And this is a quote from Abraham Lincoln. I just thought it was brilliant. Madam, do I not destroy my enemy when I make him my friend? (laughs) And that, to me, is really, we're all being enemies now. But making you my friend requires a form of love. It does. That's actually something that I personally like to practice is recognizing the capacity for love within all of us. And that is something that I can connect to in my own mind with someone that I might, you know, even if it's someone I don't know on social media or something that says something that would send me into being upset or whatever, then I just remember that this is a person who has the capacity to love and that's shared. And that's how I can connect to them. And it's interesting because I tend to, in a similar vein, what I tend to do is put myself in their place and see how I would end up doing what they're doing or saying what they're saying. And once I understand that, I get it. Right. I I get it. It's not, I mean, we're all pretty much the same. Right. I mean, that's, you're defining compassion right there. Just looking at with this person who grew up in this situation and learned this type of language makes sense. Well, we all need boundaries and containment. And the containment can be very porous. It just, you have to have an idea of who you are. Maya Angelou once said, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. And you can do that just by a smile, by little things. It doesn't take much. It doesn't. And on that thread, I think it's important to acknowledge that we probably all have touched the lives of many people in ways that we'll never know. 
that we might have been walking down the street and we might have offered someone a smile that they remember and they might be telling that story right now as we speak and we have no idea the people that we have touched. Well, you know, it's a funny story today. I was um, at the post office and there's this lovely, lovely woman and she's from Ukraine. And when the war started, she disappeared for a while and she looked awful and which is something very sweet about her. And I went to drop something off that was prepaid. And I said, can I throw it here? And she said, no, bring it here, bring it here. So I went to her window and I gave it to her. I said, how are you doing? Someone in front of me had once asked her about Ukraine and what she was doing. And I could see her discomfort because she was right on the verge of tears. So I've never said anything. I've just sort of been there. And I said, how are you doing? And she said, I'm good. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, I'm really good. I said, great. I said, you know, I didn't know your name was Natalia because her name tag was on. And she said, what's your name? And I said, it's Dana. And so we talked for a nanosecond and she said, have a wonderful day. And I said, thank you. And I left. That woman changed my day. Hmm. So there's a flower shop around the corner. So I went and bought a rose and I went back to the post office and it was wrapped, you know, in a, greens and whatever. It's just one, a single rose. And I walked in, I had it behind my back and there was a line and I just butt right in front of the line and I just put it on her desk and she did not know what to do. Hmm. And I just turned around and walked. I said, because you are just wonderful and turned around and walked out. Wow. And I just, I wanted her to feel what I had felt, her being so generous to me and sweet. For me, it's all about feeling. And so I knew that that would have an impact on her, would have the same impact on her that her generosity had had on me. That's so beautiful. So that goes back to the do unto others. You know, I had the time, I had the money to buy a rose. I had, so I thought, well, she should feel what I felt. Mm. And who knows how much that affected her. And that could be a story that she tells forever. You think? Yeah. Uh. So what I think about in our conversation so far, we've been defining or we've been discussing the definition of love. But I also think coming back to transformational therapeutics and how you began this episode by saying that so many of us might be operating in a different paradigm when it comes to love, especially in a relationship. One person might define that love means that you do in things that I've would want you to do or that I would do for you, whereas someone else might define love as a feeling, whereas someone else might define as a comforting touch, whereas someone else might define love as words. And so I think when we're operating in different paradigms in that way, without knowing it, we might be interpreting the lack of receiving in the way that we define love as meaning that this person doesn't love us. At least to me, if I think about transformational therapeutics and getting curious about the paradigm and how we define it and how do you love that could open up the opportunity for connection. Thank you, Rebecca, because I think as you're talking, what's coming to mind is having your understanding, the principle of love, then you can, from that comes the manifestation. Mm. So when you said something about you giving me a present or something like that, that is an outgrowth of a pre-existing definition. Mm. So knowing how you define it actually sets you up for less misunderstanding and less failure. Right. And you can be more clear with your partner or whoever, or with yourself, what it actually means to you. And broadening your definition gives you many more options. It broadens your paradigm. Gives you choice. Right. And in that context, when you have more options, more choice, more ways to see it, you might have been 
seeing your partner as not loving you because they weren't loving you in the way that you define it. And then once you open up your paradigm and create more choices, you might then see, oh, wait a second, my partner or my friend or whoever it is was loving me in the way that they see it. Yeah, I just experienced that. Um, This weekend, I had a friend, she was talking about someone, a young man that she knows who had taken up cooking. He learned Italian cooking and he was staying at the house. And he said something about, well, food is love. And she turned to me and she said, I guess I don't love myself. Hmm. And I thought, well, I guess I don't either because I have all these issues around food and the ability to to really provide for myself. It's just fascinating. And then that took me back historically to how food has influenced me from infancy on up. And I don't associate food with love because of my history. And so that right there is a different paradigm from perhaps someone who does, who's, you know, had a big Italian family or something. And, you know, they get together at the table and it becomes this wonderful experience. And so, again, it goes back to defining for yourself the language that you use. And it prompted me to start looking at food and love because Mm. it never occurred to me that people thought food and love were the same. Right. Because I never experienced that. Right. That's so powerful because also just because that person defines food as love doesn't mean that it necessarily means that you don't love yourself based on how you eat. It's because no, but that it person... prompted me to look at my history right. and my association with food and think, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. And the fact that she said that about herself yeah, really prompted me to look deeper. For sure. It was really cool. It's, it is very interesting because I do know some people who have parents that did not know how to express love at all, but they did through food. It was like, don't know how to vocalize, don't know how to show it in any other way, but I'll cook for you. And that's how I show you my love. And that's, that's what I do. And so it's, that's just a fascinating thing to start reflecting on. What is the thing that I say is love for me? Is it food is love? Is it? But also that it's a form of love to this guy. Mm. To me, it's not a form of love at all. It's a form of terror just because of my history and whatever. It's like it doesn't. And so to transform it into a form of love is novel idea to me. It's just Hmm. novel. Hmm. Well, and that's a perfect example of if you're operating in two different paradigms. For example, if you were in a relationship with that person and you operated around food towards him in a different way than he would towards you, then you both could be in a conflicting, wow, this person doesn't love me because they're not doing the thing that I am expecting. And and just in that particular instance, if I associate food with fear Mm -hmm. and not love, and that person associated food with love, then my not wanting or not eating his food would be an indication to him that I don't love him. Right. But we're really just coming from two different histories and two different paradigms. And not having defined it really leaves it open for misunderstanding. Absolutely. And resentment and all of that sort of thing. Yes, and disconnection. And then through coming back to the language, coming back to seeing what paradigm that you are in, what is the lexicon that you're operating under, can then open up the opportunity for deeper connection, for a new safe container. Because if you were in a relationship if the two of you were in a relationship and then you discovered that about each other. Ourselves, right. Yeah, and, right, and yourselves, right. then that could be a huge opportunity for a deeper connection and understanding. Totally. Yeah. 
And then it would change everything. Right. In the way that both of you would interact with food with one another. And it would give an option for some, uh, for a healing on a whole nother level. Absolutely. For both of us. Absolutely. Hmm. So we've covered a lot of things around the topic of love. And at least to me, I feel like this was an enriching conversation. I hope it was for listeners as well. But I think a beautiful way to wrap up this episode would be coming full circle and reading some poetry, some quotes, so that we can really feel the language and interpret our own paradigms through it. Would you read a few? Um, I love this. Everybody is a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it is stupid. Um, this is a good one. A learning experience is, is one of those things that says, you know that thing that you just did? Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to just wrap up with a quote from Rumi. And still, after all this time, the sun has never said to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with love like that. It lights up the sky. We but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found in the world of our body. If we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. As a man changes his own nature, so does the attitude of the world change towards him. This is the divine mystery supreme. A wonderful thing it is, and the source of our happiness. We need not wait to see what others do. Mahatma Gandhi Thank you so much for listening today. We also want to extend our gratitude for subscribing, for rating and reviewing. We appreciate it so much. And if you would be so kind as to share this episode with three people that need to hear it, that need this message and could appreciate these words, 